If you are finding yourself making more than your partner and it makes you squeamish, this episode with Farnoosh Tarabi is for you. Are you tired of the traditional money advice? Me too. Bienvenida. Welcome to the Her Money Matters podcast. Join me each week for down-to-earth money conversations that will leave you with more confidence and inspiration to help you take control of your money. And you will probably learn some Spanish along the way too. Lista? You ready? Empecemos with. Let's get started. Que hubo? ¿Cómo estás? Hi there, how are you doing? I am happy to have you here. This is Jen Hempel, your host. Now, I've got a fantastic guest for you today. Okay, so I always say I have a fantastic guest, but seriously, I really truly believe that, and today's guest is no exception. Now, in fact, she was one of the inspirations that has helped me shape this podcast. In this episode, you're going to learn how she came into her career of journalism and why she chose to focus on finance. And I really, somehow that really fascinates me. And the unsaid and unheard issues within marriages where the woman is the breadwinner. You're also going to learn one priceless tip that you can implement today to help navigate the waters if you are the woman breadwinner. Now, let me share with you a little bit about Farnoosh Tarabi. From her early days reporting for Money Magazine to hosting a primetime series on CNBC and writing monthly for the Oprah Magazine and Mint.com, she's become a favorite go-to money expert and friend. Millions of Americans tune into Farnoosh's award-winning podcast, So Money, which made its debut in January 2015. On the show, she interviews leading experts, authors, and influencers from Tony Robbins to Robert Kiyosaki, Margaret Cho, and Tim Gunn, all about their financial perspectives, money failures, and habits. She also answers listeners' personal financial questions each week. Lista? Vamos a conocer a Farnoosh. Let's go meet Farnoosh. Bienvenida, Farnoosh, to the Her Money Matters podcast. I'm excited to have you here, and really, it is about time. <laughs> yes, my friend. How are you? Thank you for having me on the show, by the way. Oh, it's my pleasure. I know you've been a busy lady in between having children, these amazing projects that you're doing, uh, your own programs. So I'm just thrilled to have you here. Well, congratulations too on your book, not to mention oh. your podcast, but really your book, because I know that that, that was a, very, a big labor of love. It, it was. I appreciate that. Well, let's dive into getting to know you better, Farnoosh, and let's dig into your money story. How did you grow up around money? I think I grew up with better awareness of, of the value of money and how to earn it and how to save it than maybe a lot of people. I'm not saying because... Our family was uh, more advanced than any other family, but we were Middle Eastern, so there was that. Mm -hmm. And I think culturally, money was just not a taboo topic growing up in our household, like a lot of other Middle Eastern households. I know that here in the States, it's completely different if you were, you know, more of a, from a, like a Western culture or grew up 
in the city here or the state. It's it's really the of the mindset that people don't talk about money. It's not polite. It's kind of a taboo topic. People are more willing to talk about their sex life and their medical conditions right. and politics and religion and death than they are money. But we didn't really have that philosophy growing up. And so I credit my childhood for raising me to be somebody who was not shy around financial issues, which fast forward to today, it's no surprise I'm doing what I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So did any, was there a certain time in your life that you remember because you got into journalism and talking about money, personal finance topics, was there anything uh, maybe in your childhood or any memory that really impacted that decision or how did that come to be? So yeah, I don't think I ever grew up thinking, oh, I can't wait to become a financial reporter (laughs) or I can't wait to write about money and talk about savings and IRAs. I think though that your life is in some ways mapped out for you and and, uh, everything happens for a reason. So I didn't really connect the dots until later once I was in my career. I was like, oh, this makes, this is, I get it. I get why I'm doing what I'm doing. At the time when I was making the decision to become a financial journalist, it was more for practical reasons. You know, I was in college studying finance because that's what my parents encouraged me to do. I was not sure what to major in. Time was ticking and I needed to graduate in four years. So they said, you want to just major in business because you'll at least get a job when you graduate. So I concentrated in finance because I did know enough to go into an area of business that I didn't see a lot of other women. Mm. And I knew that that for me was going to be a way to stand out. That was really the whole mindset around it. Um, And I was good at math and, you know, money. I liked money. So I realized, though, while studying finance, that what I loved most about learning about the industry was not the number crunching or the spreadsheets or the calculations. It was once we got a chance to really learn about people like investors and uh, the stories behind how great investments were made, the stories behind how great companies were made, case studies. I really liked the story aspect of the financial world, like how things fall into place, uh, failures, successes. Remember, I also was in school during the tech bubble bursting, mm. Enron, and all those other corrupted, corrupt companies and business leaders going to jail. And so fi- for the first time in a long time, financial news was mainstream news. It was front cover, Wall- front cover New York Times, not just Wall Street Journal. And that piqued my interest. And I always loved storytelling. I always knew that I liked to do something in the creative space. I ran my school paper. I was always a writer. I did theater. So I kind of married those two passions, this passion for, I wouldn't say call it passion, but this appreciation for Mm -hmm. financial stories and the world of finance. And my passion really, which was telling those stories creatively through, through words, through visual, uh, visual elements, which I do a lot now in my work on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just decided, okay, this is, this is it. And I was lucky because I, I go back to Penn state where I went to school and I meet students who I'm um, having a hard time figuring out what they want to do with their lives. And I'm not saying you have to figure it out when you're 19, but it helps. Uh, it helps you get a head start. It helps you feel really focused and like you have a purpose now. 
But uh, it was not an easy thing to convince to my parents that I wanted to pursue journalism after they thought I was going to become an investor or a financial you know, analyst. But I think once I got into Columbia, they started to really know that I was serious. And uh, even when I went into journalism, I was like, I need a niche. So it's going to be finance because that's my background. And I don't see many other people pursuing that right now. So it's another way to, for me to stand out. Love it. So you, you t- intertwine uh, personal finance, uh, journalism, you've got really good, I mean, uh, and obviously now you're fantastic, you've gotten really good at this in this career. And you eventually you got married, and you found yourself making more with your husband. So can you tell us a little bit about that, especially for those listening that are in that situation, and maybe in their marriage is a tense topic where she's making more? Sure. Well, I was married. Like I was actually not this before I was married. I was engaged and uh, was thinking about what I wanted to write for my next book. Mm-hmm. And I was scribbling notes on a notepad, sitting uh, at a cafe, and I knew that at the very least I wanted to write a book for women because increasingly that was becoming more and more the majority of my listeners and readers and audience and followers. So I wanted to write a book dedicated to um, those people, those women, those professional women who are out there working hard, taking names. (laughs) And honestly, I didn't know what to add to the conversation. There were a lot of really excellent books already out there about how women can become more financially empowered, make more, save more, invest better, Etc. So I didn't want to just echo what I already thought was enough in the marketplace. So I started to reflect on my own life, like what's going on in my own life financially that even as someone who works in the financial space, even as somebody who feels very confident about tackling any financial issue, what is still maybe bothering me or what is still something that perplexes me? And to and then I and then I mean I it wasn't it didn't take me very long to figure that out. It was like, well, you know, lately I've been feeling a lot of pressure from my family and I feel a little like I'm in the closet about the fact that I make more than my soon-to-be husband. And it's nothing that really within our relationship is uh, a source of fighting or a source of conflict, but I do have there's this je ne sais quoi around women breadwinners that mm-hmm. really bothers me, that really feel makes me feel like I have something to be ashamed of rather than something that I should be so proud of that I should not be not hesitate to tell anybody, you know, just like men. I met so I've met so many men who still are like, my wife has the best job. Oh, what's that? She watches after our five children and doesn't have a job at, you know, like a real job, like a real mm-hmm. job where she makes a paycheck. That she has, in fact, the best job, which is staying home. And I mean, I'm not saying here, like, I'm not here to debate stay at home parenting versus working, but right. I think that men are much more like they wear their breadwinning status as a badge of honor. And women, I feel that we have yet to get there. And once I identified that issue within my life, the next step was to figure out okay, well, how big of an issue is this really? Is it just me that's having an issue with this? And then I realized, oh, no, Mm -mm. this is a widespread conundrum. The the good news is that there are more female breadwinners today than ever before, which makes a lot of sense. The world's evolving, but we're not really evolving. You know, we have this amazing achievement of women that are outperforming 
from a paycheck standpoint, their spouses managing their households. But uh, there was a lot of unsaid, unheard, unrecognized issues that are happening within the marriages and even out and even in society. We're not yet at a place in society where we feel it's quote unquote better or okay for a woman to make more than her husband. Uh, Pew actually did a study in the 21st century, not too long ago, <laughs> uh, that said that a majority of Americans still believe it is the man's responsibility to be the main provider for his family. Crazy. So you add those things together. And then I talked to a lot of women who are breadwinners and they were like, gosh, this is an issue for us. Or my mother is really judgmental. And that was my situation. Like I had a traditional family or at least, you know, in the, in the sense of, you know, when it comes to marriage, they had very traditional mindset around what a woman's role should be, what a man's role should be. And my mother was very skeptical of the fact that my husband made less. Mm. She's like, how is this going to work? Don't you guys want to have kids? Who's going to take care of the kids? I mean, I'm not expecting you to not work anymore when you have kids, but women still are at the forefront of parenting, even when they work and have full-time jobs. So how are you going to be responsible for the finances of the family and the kids and everything else? I mean, they, she just thought it was an inconceivable thing. And and I see where she came from because we do wear so many hats, right? I know when I look at our marriage and as you know my husband's in the military and and granted my husband I'm I'm blessed he's he's a great man, but in terms of wearing the hats I there's still that, you know, especially when he's gone, uh all everything's on me or even when he's here because of the demands of the job of his job pretty much all the hats fall on me. So to add that. So I see where she's coming from because that's really, and I don't know how to change that. You know, how do we really, or if that will ever change, right? It's just, but I, I see where she's coming from, but there's a lot of women breadwinners that are out there doing it all like you, you know, like you. So um, it is possible. And that's the good news, right? I'm not saying mm-hmm. our life is perfect by any stretch, but I, I feel like we're in a good place, at least when it comes to accepting our roles and letting the money part just sort of support everybody. It's not about anymore, like who makes more, who makes less. It's about our money and exactly our responsibilities. We have share, we share in the same goals and that's the most important thing, but easier said than done. And I want ultimately to save marriages. What was most astonishing about all the research that I found ultimately on women breadwinners was that when she makes more, her chance for divorce shoots up by 50%. Couples I are, it. Yeah, marriages are ending because of this. I mean, money's already a, a very, very, can be a very damaging mm-hmm. uh, topic in a relationship. It's a very much a big cause for divorce. You add it to it, this layer of female breadwinner and they don't know how to communicate around it. They don't know how to like express their emotions. It's very emotional. And it's not politically correct, right? Men are embarrassed maybe to say that their ego gets crushed when they're not making as much or more. Women may feel it's inappropriate to say that she feels less like a woman when mm. she makes more. But those are the feelings that we feel. Those mm-hmm. are the feels. And we need to talk about that and be very respectful of that because if we're not, then what happens is communication shuts down. There's resentment that brews. Couples end up... There's also a higher risk for cheating mm-hmm. uh, from both spouses. And so I wanted to ultimately give couples a guidebook for 
at least, you know, starting that conversation and being honest about your feelings and then giving them also some real tactical, practical ways, systems that they could set up, you know, roles they could inherit to allow them to just make it work better for each of them and for the family. Right. And so what are some of those tips? Like I I know you and your husband are are a great example of how it it can work without the stress and the tensions of like one making more than the other and egos deflated and all that. So what kind of tips would you give to someone listening that is in that situation and maybe has a tense marriage at this moment? Because sure. of that. Yeah. I mean, well, think at the root of it all, you want to, if you do feel like there, this is a problem in your relationship and you can't put your finger on it, but you, ha- you have a feeling it has something to do with emotions and ego and all of that. I think the first thing to maybe respect is that each person in the marriage enters the marriage because they want to feel very purposeful, right? Mm-hmm. They want to feel like they're here for a reason. And for men, a lot of the times just because of social conditioning and I think, you know, going back to cavemen era, men were providers, right? They would go out, they would hunt, they would bring home the uh, the loot for the family. And that never changed. I mean, that was pretty much status quo for generations, for billions of years. And here we are in 2018. And still that mindset for men is that in order to feel, in order to be purposeful in a relationship, in a marriage, I need to provide and I need to provide with money. And if that is not something that is required of him anymore or is not the situation because she is making more, it's just not the circumstance, then certainly he may feel a little lost at sea about what is now really my big purpose. And this is an opportunity for women, I think I always say, because you have to remember that your your guy really wants to serve you because mm-hmm. that is what serves his ego. Mm-hmm. So take that as an opportunity. So you're busy. You've got a lot going on at work. You've got a lot going on at home. We just talked about it, uh, Jen. You know, So mm-hmm. identify the one, two, ten things that he can inherit and take on as sort of the commander in chief. You know, uh, For some couples, it would be that your husband is now – the sole responsibility, his sole responsibility or not sole responsibility, but he is the primary person that's involved with maybe managing the bills or it's, you know, childcare or it's the food department in your house. I mean, food takes up a lot of time, energy and money, right? I still tell him I want a chef. (laughs) You want a chef, right? Oh, yes. (laughs) So better yet, though, I think to start somewhere, think about women, think about the one thing that your husband can provide you that would change your life in some ways would give you more, give you some of your time back, give you some of your sanity back. Uh, that you know, and the way you present it to him isn't just like, "Oh, can you help me out with this thing?" It's, "Hey, I'm having a problem, and I and I would love for you to help me. Um, not just help me, but really like take over this whole area that I just am too stressed out or too." Be- Before we jump into today's content, keep your ears peeled for a unique reveal I'll be sharing midway through the show. It's something special just for you. Easier to whatever to take take care of. Like if you do this, you're my hero. Absolutely. That's actually the H word is key, hero. (laughs) Yeah. And I think problem too, because... They want want to to solve solve the problem. So the keywords there, problem, I have a problem. (laughs) You are, you'll be my hero or you are already, but more so. 
Uh, can you, you help me? <laughs> you, this would save me. And I'll tell you in our relationship, what I did, I followed the script. I, uh, everything. And by the way, this may not be something that you feel you need now, but later, like use this, keep this in your back pocket, ladies. Uh, when we had our son, our first child, I worked for myself. So I didn't really have maternity leave, but I was allowed, I, I was able to finagle some way to like stay off the grid for six, eight weeks, more or less. When I got back into the work mode, I, we had a nanny and she was coming from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m., uh, eight hours a day. And it's a full day for her. So I didn't really want her to stay longer than that because I wanted her to come back the next day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so my husband and I had this at the time, it was I was going to get home by four, be with him until six, and then my husband would get home at six. And then we would co parent at six from till, you know, bedtime. And the day would repeat. Well, some days that worked out fine, but a lot of days I wasn't done by four o'clock. Who is? And I would kid mm -hmm. myself. Saying, oh well, by eight when the kid when my son's in bed, eight o'clock, nine o'clock, that's when I can pick up the workload. But I'm exhausted by that. Yeah. I'm not twenty-five anymore. I'm not I, I am now thirty something with a child, exhausted, <laughs> having worked a full day, childcare half the day. Now I'm supposed to go back to work. So all I can't even watch Netflix. I just want to <laughs> sleep. I can't even Netflix and chill. So and I, and it, my work was suffering. So I said to Tim, you know, is there a way for us to rethink this whole daytime schedule? So, um, if we don't want to extend our nanny's hours, what is another way for us to give me some, some time back into my work day? So, uh, we agreed that he was going to work earlier in the day, come home by four. We were both going to come home by four. And at that point, make a game time decision. Maybe we'd both co-parent from four on. Maybe he would work. Maybe I would take over. Maybe I would work and he would take over. So we allowed him changing his schedule, gave us the flexibility for me to continue working extra hours in my day and sometimes not, but at least having the option. And sometimes I would just sleep uh, during those uh, extra hours or I would go to the gym or, you know, but it was the best thing he could have done for me and really ultimately for the family. Right. And, and basically from everything that you're saying, it's about getting together, having those conversations, that communication of each other's needs, which is helps in all areas of marriage. And, and then from there, problem solving together. What can, how can we solve this? What, how can you help me or how can I help you? In that, but it really, you know, I know it's said so much communication is key, but it really is, right? It's really about, like, like I mentioned, communicating what your needs are, where you need help, and because uh, that's your partner, right? And you're in this marriage together. Uh, yeah, so, we forget that. Yes. We, especially women, I think that what's amazing about women, what's so impressive is that we can do so much on mm -hmm. our own, but. We all should, we all have our limits. And I think that before you get to your limit, it's important to recognize the ways that you can be supported and you have to ask for help. Your husband is Absolutely. not going to be able to read your mind. And that's something that I've been working on is asking for help, not just for my husband, but for my boys, because my boys are 15 and 11. Oh, they and, can help. Oh, yeah, definitely. Can help. And they've got their chores. But what I've noticed too it, it, is that 
even though they've got certain things because they've been doing laundry for a while. I got rid of <laughs> that a chore good, a while. Good. But different things that I kind of have gotten into the routine of doing in terms like, uh, I don't know, uh, putting away the food after dinner, whatever's left over, those type of things. I'm like, why am I still doing this? They can do these little things that, granted, it seems it is simple. It doesn't take long to do. And I think that's what's in my head. Oh, I can do this real quick. Right. But it's just asking for that help because maybe that one added little thing uh, to that day that maybe a stressful day that you had is what's the breaking point, right? So it's just, that's what I'm learning to do is really to ask for help, no matter how insignificant it may be, but that little thing may make a world, a world of a difference, especially in that day, right? So I'm working Absolutely. on that. I'm working on that. Well, I love this, uh, Farnoosh. Now, you've written several books. You've had a lot of success, not just around in your books, but in your career at that. And you've, with the books, I know you credit that to really opening up uh, massive opportunities for you. And you've created a program called Book to, to Brand that I know I'm personally, I've been personally eyeing. So tell us, for those that are contemplating writing a book, uh, what is this program about and uh, why you, did you create it? Yeah, sure. Thanks. Thanks for letting me talk about it a little bit. I'm so excited about it because it's, for me, a way to, um, I guess, uh, share more of the behind the scenes of how I built my my business and my brand. And it turns out that people are interested in the process behind. I mean, I think because it's fascinating to know like how someone got to be where they are. And that's how this course basically, or rather this workshop came about, I would go out and do my thing and go to speaking events and conferences and I would meet people and nobody was asking me like, Hey, how do I get out of debt? It's Farnish, how did you become you? Mm. And I think because there are a lot of people out there who have expertise, right? Everyone's got a passion. They've got knowledge in something. And their dream, a lot of them, is to is to connect with as many people as possible, right? Be on multiple platforms, speak, do a podcast, be on television, have books, be an internet sensation. And how do you do it? Like, where does it, where do you even start? And the first step is, of course, just to become an ex, like have that expertise, like hone in on your expertise. But what I discovered, and I didn't have an answer, a good answer at the beginning, you know, how did I become me? I don't know. I just like... Uh, <laughs> I just kept working. I'm just me. And I'm just me. I, I made a lot of mistakes. Um, no, but for me, for me now, this isn't going to be for everybody. But for me, the strategy that was conscious was writing books. Because every time you write a book, especially that first book, it's a huge catalyst for your career. And then it's another catalyst and another catalyst to get you to the next level and to the next level. You have to know how to leverage it. You know, you have to know how to market it. You can't just write a book and have it expect that it's just people are going to discover it and right. you're going to become an overnight success. No, it's a, it is hard work, but there are best practices. There are the best people out there that I have gotten to know that I thought, well, maybe there's actually a way to introduce all of this to those who are interested. And so this workshop that I've been now holding for three years it's an intimate setting. It's I only want 10 people at the most. And who are these people, right? These are a lot of them entrepreneurs. They're subject matter experts. They're anyone from like a doctor to a stylist to a nutritionist to a financial uh, accountant to 
an architect. I have someone coming this spring who's a home builder. Love it. And they're all so, I mean, they, they're in their zone of genius that there's no doubt. And they have some success within their respective businesses. Their dream is to write a book, a nonfiction prescriptive book that kind of captures who they are, their message, their most important message they want to bring out into the world. And they don't know where to start. They don't have a team. They don't know the who's who of the publishing industry. They know that there's something that they have to do as far as getting a literary agent. They don't even know how to start there. And then they have big dreams for the, you know, the book's uh, future. They want it to become something that really takes on a life of its own. So the two-day workshop is 10 of those types of people who come to New York City. They meet me all day for two days. I also bring to the workshop publishers, literary agents, media people, um, people who have turned their books into uh, speaking platforms, people who authors who've then gone on to become brand partners. And I bring people who run brand partnerships at various agencies. So it's the whole kind of lifespan of a book in two days, the how to, the who's who, and the what now. Mm. <laughs> I just made that up, but it's true. <laughs> the what now, you yeah. Here, but it's really, it's that process and it's super high touch. So you're going to get your idea workshopped. People leave the workshop knowing exactly what they need to be writing about or scrapping the old idea, having a new idea, knowing making relationships with people who are going to help them down the road. And relationships are just so important. Yeah. I mean, that's, oh my goodness. that's where the value really is. It's yes. not a, it's not a $99, you know, event. It's, this mm. is something that is a true investment in your career. I truly believe that it is going to help you save years in the getting to know who's who process. Mm -hmm. You just, here you are here. Here's like, you know, a publisher from, Penguin. And here's a literary agent that represents a lot of people like you. Here is someone who works at the Today Show, who later, if you're interested in pitching there and getting your book on the air, might be able to give you some feedback. So, and then after the workshop, we don't just, you know, kick you out of New York City. We <laughs> try to keep the conversation going. So there's two one-hour calls that I provide after the workshop all the videos from the workshop, what we film it will be at your disposal for life. Um, so we are pretty much uh, closed cart for this May's workshop. Mm -hmm. But I encourage anybody who's really, I mean, we could open it up for one person or two people who really, really want in this May, because the timing is perfect for them. They're really serious. You can absolutely apply. This is going to be a recurring event. And if you're interested, you can go to book to brand dot co co to hear more about it and sign up uh, for a call with me. And then we can talk more about uh, whether it's better for you to come in May or later in the year. But uh, it's really, for me, it's fun. I thought about doing a course and I thought, mm -hmm. well, I'm not really a course person. Uh, <laughs> and I, I mean, think for this type of value, yeah, you, know, you people. need the people and, and you need to be in front of the people. So I love the way that you're doing that because I've learned at the very beginning of my um, journey in entrepreneurship, I was like, I can do it all. I, you know, I've got this. And not that I didn't value relationships, but I didn't realize how important. I mean, not that I didn't make friends, you know, <laughs> I'm a really person, but I learned over the years how impactful and I learned it, you know, it had, with the book launch, I realized how powerful, you know, even more so it is like, 
having those relationships, people supporting you, uh, having those connections that open up these doors for you. And it's just about being that genuine person being, it's making those genuine relationships. Not, it's not about, Hey, help me, but it's about, you know, first connecting, getting to know them, offering value. And, uh, but what you have there is fantastic. Like I said, I've been eyeing it and I know I've got a book already, <laughs> but so I don't know. And we can talk that off offline. But wow, this is fantastic. I will have that link uh, in the show notes for the book to brand. For those of you interested, I will also have a link to her book, When She Makes More as well, because that's a good read. Now, Farnoosh, this has been fantastic. I've really enjoyed having you. It's one thing that I really appreciate you, about you, Farnoosh, is with the massive success that you have had, you are, you stay grounded, you're humble. You are approachable. And that's something that I know personally, I personally appreciate that about you. So that's something that I think that oh, thank you. is unique so nice. about you uh, and that I absolutely love. And your support for my book. <laughs> I oh, can't go unnoticed. So I really, really appreciate that. So I know how hard it is to write a book. I know how much effort goes into it. A lot of people don't remember that, you know, when you publish a book, like it takes, it sucks a lot of life out of you. It, it's all you do for two years. Uh, yeah. You've published and, a book and it's just the beginning. It's like, that's when your work starts, even though you've worked a lot already. To that point. Let me ask you this. Has anyone asked you for like a free signed copy, like family members? I have. Well, they haven't asked me for a free signed copy, but they do want a copy. So yeah. I, they, yeah. They just, don't say like, oh, where can I buy it? Yeah. It's like, well, they're yeah. like, well, can you bring 10 copies to Thanksgiving? <laughs> like, or my coworker wants a book. Can I have it? Yeah. Can you bring it next time? I'm like, um, it's on Amazon. It's not that expensive. <laughs> you know that I worked hard for it. I'm not going to probably make any money oh, from goodness. buying it because it's, you know, it's got to go through the publisher first. But still, it's the principle. You know, mm -hmm. we would. I think I don't think they're they are being cheap. I think they just don't realize. Don't, that yeah, it would actually be great for the author if you actually went and bought it. Right, yeah. right. And so far, as far as I know, some family members that have definitely bought the book. So it's been it's been pretty cool to see that. But it's just been my close, um, direct close. But it was just, I think it was me more offering him, I'll, I'll send you a copy. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> so I hear that. Oh, Farnoosh, I'm finally glad that we made this happen. I appreciate you uh, being here, sharing all that you shared today. Uh, this has been fantastic. Thank you. It's my absolute pleasure. And congrats again, Jen. Oh, you're the best. Thank you. Wasn't Farnoosh just fantastic? I hope that you enjoyed my chat with Farnoosh as much as I enjoyed chatting with her. Now, this week's Mención Semanal or the weekly shout out, it goes to you in general, especially if you are in our community on Facebook. I have really seen some fantastic conversations happening and I really appreciate that. And it's not because I just enjoy reading them, but also because I know that you are helping each other. Just the sheer fact that you are out there putting yourself out there, you are sharing uh, something about you, maybe you're sharing a challenge, whatever it is, it does make a difference. So I, I just want to acknowledge you and say thank you. And if for some reason you've been lurking around, that's completely okay, but I'm just going to give you a little push to uh, join us and engage in the conversations and share something about you uh, because I would absolutely love to interact with you. 
Now let's get back to today's chat with Farnoosh. I really love just diving deep into the issues of when she makes more, when the woman is a breadwinner, because there's a lot there, as you heard. And I absolutely love that tip that she shared in terms of really maneuvering those waters when maybe you feel kind of squeamish around making more and how she mentioned that uh, just to identify various things that your partner can serve you with, that they can help you with, uh, that would just really, where they are the hero, where they are helping you solve a problem that it just makes a world of a difference. So I hope that you really took a lot uh, out of this conversation. Uh, and if you have anything to add from your experience, please do so in our Facebook community. And uh, I would definitely love to hear your insights, uh, your experience, what you have learned, maybe some tips that you want to share, whatever it is, uh, just come on over to our Facebook community that is at jenhemphill.com forward slash community. Now, if you love this conversation, just make sure if you haven't already, because you may be here because of Farnoosh's podcast, uh, so many, but if you haven't listened to her podcast, I definitely encourage you to do so. I'll have the link in the show notes. I was fortunate. I've had the pleasure of being on her show twice. And an interesting story here, the first time that I was on her podcast as a guest was several months before I launched my podcast. So I was already working on launching my podcast and really, uh, her interview was the first, it really marked the first interview that I had done in a podcast. Like that was literally the first one. I, I can't believe it because I, it was basically, I got interviewed for, by a journalist versus me starting off, uh, on a podcast that maybe just started, right? Uh, so, so that was interesting. So I thought you'd be interested in, in knowing that. So definitely check out her podcast called So Money, if you haven't already done so. And I will also have the link uh, for her program called Book to Brand for those of you that want to check that out. Now, I definitely know we got pretty deep on the topic of when she makes more with Farnoosh. If you are that breadwinner as a woman and you are feeling that overwhelm from wearing all the hats, my daily money ritual can help lessen the overwhelm. It's just a simple worksheet that helps you regroup your financial life so you can focus on the people that you love most in your life. Because we all want to do that, right? I have a free copy waiting for you over at jenhemphill.com forward slash ritual. So I hope you uh, get uh, grab one uh, when you can. Now, next week, we're going to meet Alana Okuna, who shares with us some fascinating trends on our shopping habits, which I think you will absolutely love. So that is a wrap for today. I want to thank Farnoosh for joining us, for sharing all that she shared on today's episode. Uh, you can uh, check out more on her with the show notes, which you can find at jenhempel.com forward slash 140. And don't forget that if you love this episode, it would mean the world to me if you shared it with a friend, a coworker, or even a stranger. Hey, it'll help them. So Thanks again for joining me. Nos hablaremos el próximo jueves. I'll talk to you next Thursday. Ciao.